Hey there, Mark Ryder, NFP's Head of Innovation here. Before you get started with the Compliance Corner podcast, I wanted to let you know about a new podcast we'll be launching in the upcoming weeks entitled Innovation Conversations. Innovation Conversations will be interviews with leaders of the various startups we are sourcing through NFP's Innovation Lab and will give you a great opportunity to hear from true game changers. Be on the lookout for more information in the weeks to come. Now, back to your regularly scheduled program. Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. I'm Chase Cannon. I'm here with Suzanne Spradley. We are colleagues in the NFP Benefits Compliance legal team, and we're here to break down uh, many of the legal issues and uh, other issues we're seeing in the benefits compliance world, hopefully to make this relatable and helpful for employers especially. Um, Today, we're going to hit on a topic that we hit on previously Uh, But it's going to be coming up so much in the elections, and we're hearing about it at the state level. That is single-payer health care. Again, we're focusing on this just because it's a hot issue. Um, But Suzanne, talk about it up front. Well, you know, that's true. We're seeing, at least in the national um, primaries, we've seen the Democratic primaries across the country, a Medicare for all candidates are really winning. So you had Kara Eastman in Nebraska, Katie Porter in Orange County, California, and then, of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in New York. So it, it's definitely a message that is resonating and it's growing among Democrats. I, boy, I can remember just a few years ago us Uh, discussing single-payer systems and saying there's no way it's going to get there. But now it certainly is a part of everyday discussion. And you can assume that when Democrats hold power again, especially if they have control of the Congress and uh, the White House, they will likely push for some form of a single-payer system. Now, what will be interesting at that time is what direction the party will take. They will have to decide whether they want to start anew with a a whole new entire health care system by implementing something similar to Canada, which would really be more like universal coverage, or something less disruptive that leaves those portions of the marketplace um, intact, for example, the employer-sponsored market, and just expand the public option. Right. Okay. So let's uh, let's talk about that. When people say Medicare for all, what does that actually mean? Well, this is a great question, and it's really could be answered differently depending on who you ask. But it was traditionally meant single payer health system or a national government run program that covered every American, and it completely replaced the private coverage market. So think of government run health programs in Canada or you know some of the other European countries. We now see that the term Medicare for all has been expanded and applied to other types of proposals um, that allow just Americans to buy into the Medicare system. So some of these you might think of just merely as a public option. They would not end um, the private insurance market as a true single payer system would, but they would just uh, expand that uh, public option to others that don't currently have it available. But what's really interesting is how the polling has gone with various terms. So one polling, for example, was done by the Kaiser Family Foundation, and that's obviously the gold standard for health policy polling. And this is what what will show you why we'll likely hear the term Medicare for all or something similar to that in the midterm elections. So when they polled the term Medicare for all, um, there was a 62% positive response and a 33% negative response. When they used the term universal health coverage, it went down slightly, 61% positive, 
When they used the term national health plan, again, it went down some, 56% positive. And then when they used the term single-payer health insurance system, it dropped even further, down to 48% positive, 32% negative. And finally, the, the winner, or the loser, I should say, was the term socialized medicine. And that really saw an almost an equal amount, 44 negative, 43 positive, or vice versa, 44 positive and 43 negative. So you can clearly see where that polling is going to take us. Um, many people who support Medicare for All aren't really thinking about socialized medicine or single-payer healthcare system. Instead, they're really simply thinking about expanding that program to include more seniors or children or some other individuals who don't currently have that option available, but leaving the employer system in place. And so the private market would not go away. Employers could continue to offer coverage, but those without coverage um, or those in the individual market may have a more of a public option available to them. So watch for this in the midterms. You're not going to hear, again, a candidate speaking about socialized medicine. You will likely hear Medicare for all or Medicare... Um, plus or something like that. There's been various um, uh, proposals that have been levied at the federal level, but Medicare definitely polls well. That's a, a popular term in America. So you really have to look at the details of the plan to determine what they're speaking about because um, it really could be socialized medicine. Right. And that's so interesting. Um, it really has two components to it that you've sort of explained there. The first is kind of an educational component of trying to explain to Americans, employers, anybody across the country, what are you talking about when you're saying Medicare for all? What are you talking about when you say universal health coverage and really trying to explain what that actually means? That's the educational part. And then there's this marketing component of, hey, what's going to actually resonate when you say the words with voters? And I think you'll right. probably hear a lot of that in the uh, elections, that framing of the issue that... Uh, marketing component of what's gonna what's gonna ring true to a voter, or spin as they like to say, or spin. Right, <laughs> you're in the spin zone. Uh, for today, uh, let's focus on two states that are heading toward a single payer system. On the left coast, we have California and out east, New York. Right, and so I think what we're seeing is that states are taking the bull by the horns and saying the at the federal level it's not moving fast enough enough for us. So we're going to look at it on a state level. Uh, but before we get into the state proposals, keep in mind, you think of where individuals in that state get their coverage from. Many get them th their coverage through employers and the remaining um, get it through Medicare, Medicaid, or the individual marketplace if they are covered. And now think of what the state has authority over. So um, the state has less authority over employer-sponsored coverage because that is really an ERISA-governed um, uh, coverage. They have less authority over Medicare um, and they have more authority over Medicaid. So if they want to make changes and utilize that, for example, some of the Medicare funding that's coming into the states right now, they're going to require a federal waiver. And that's something that's not, they're not likely to be granted by a Republican administration. Um, I mean, and even in, in with some Democrats, Medicare is so popular, they're not likely to allow a state to just engineer a wholesale Medicare takeover in a state. Right. So that could be one barrier uh, to states implementing these kind of systems for sure. Uh, but let's take a look specifically at California. 
Well, in California, their most recent legislation was known as the Healthy California Act. And in 2017, it cleared their Senate by a 23 to 14 margin, and it was pending in their state assembly. Um, basically, the bill would consolidate all of the public insurance programs, again, this is assuming a federal waiver, including Medicare and Medi-Cal into one single state-run health plan. And it would also cover, uh, presumably, um, the uninsured Californias, Californians, those who buy insurance through covered California, and then um, those who have employer-sponsored coverage. And like most single-payer systems, it would effectively outlaw private insurance in California. So in California, employers would not have the option of covering, um, at least uh, it's unclear whether they could do self-insurance, mm-hmm. um, but certainly not, they couldn't do it through a, a fixed insurance product. So the way that they talk about reducing overall cost in the state is they would determine, for example, which drugs, which procedures, and which services would be covered. Um, in many cases, they would look at reducing those costs, so it could be some form of cap. Uh, the care would be free to any Californian, so there would be no out-of-pocket costs, no premiums, deductibles, co-pays. Um, but there wouldn't be uh, a requirement to have a referral to a specialist, so that certainly sounds um, pleasing to most Californians. The problem is the total price tag. And again, it really would depend on what's covered, so it's, it's difficult to estimate what that would be. Um, but if you eliminate deductibles and co-payments, you could certainly see you know, the cost increasing. There have been a few analysis done of the bill. One in particular um, said that you know, this, is, this coverage is offering free medical care even for all residents, no matter if they're documented or undocumented. Mm. So that, uh, that's something to um, consider. And the final tally would be about $400 billion, with a B. Wow. A year. That, so that's double the state's current budget. There was a different analysis, which I do want to, to say, that um, brought it in closer to $331 billion, um, but they took into account things that uh, some perceived savings that they would get from efficiencies in administration, from preventive care. Um, so it depends on either way you look at it, whether you think it's closer to the $400 billion or $331 billion. In either case, it would require higher sales taxes and some increased taxes on businesses. So back to where it is currently. In 2017, when it went before the Assembly, the Assembly Speaker Anthony Rendon pulled the bill from consideration, and he just said it was woefully incomplete, were his words, because it didn't include any type of funding mechanism. And certainly when the analysis came out and said how much the, the cost would be, he said he asked the state Senate to fill the holes and bring it back to the assembly with a workable bill, as he put it. So what we've seen this year were two bills that were introduced that were kind of aimed at look like, in my view, of filling the holes. One would require the secretary of HHS in the state to report on different universal coverage options. And the other one would create a new advisory panel, again, to kind of dig into the details a bit further. Um, so what we're seeing now, so that's a bit on hold, what we're seeing now is um, the discussion happening in the governor's race. So the front runner in the governor's race in California is the current lieutenant governor, Gavin Newsom, and he has certainly been a champion of the single-payer health system. Um, and he is supported by the California Nurses Association, which is also a big supporter of the single-payer health system. So. I think it gets down to, again, cost. In theory, 
um, the state could cover about half of that total amount if they were able to get a hold of the federal funding from the existing public programs in their state. But even if they were able to get a waiver from the Trump administration, which you know is un, is uh, really not likely to happen, then um, they would still have to come up with some way of adding an additional two hundred billion to fund their single payer system. So one of the ideas that's being floated is, is a fifteen percent payroll tax. Um, I imagine that's not going to be popular with the employers, but you can see. Um, there's not any consensus now on how to pay for the single-payer system out in California. Right. So that's been generally the biggest barrier that you just outlined there. What? Who's going to pay for this? It's a massive increase in cost. Um, obviously, some popular benefits there if you are a resident of the state and can go and get the services with zero out-of-pocket costs. But then how do you pay for that? And then you just outlined federal, um, being able to manipulate the federal funds, and then also raising taxes, which is never popular. Right. So uh, let's hear about uh, New York. So in New York, again, uh, we see it uh, this issue being brought up. Um, the U New York State Assembly, which is led by Democrats, passed the bill earlier this year for a single-payer universal health care system. And I believe it's the fourth time it's been passed out of the Assembly. But, you know, they knew it would be largely symbolic because the Senate is led by Republicans and they will not take up that measure until next year um, and likely would not pass it. Um, but, you know, we could see things change in terms of the makeup of the Senate in New York, and then we might see something come through. But the bill was called the New York Health Act, and it would offer comprehensive benefits, except for long-term care benefits, to really anyone regardless of age, income, wealth, or employment. Um, and if you think of um, the, they would have no deductibles, no co-payments, no out-of-pocket costs, similar to what we were talking about in California. However, taxes would be increased. So their tax payments would replace their out-of-pocket cost. Um, it would be funded. They had a little bit more information on their funding. It would be funded by a new trust fund. And that fund, again, they're presuming a waiver from the federal government would be funded from the federal government um, current payments that go into the state, along with some state and local funding, as well as two new state taxes. So mm -hmm. one would be a payroll tax that had to be paid jointly by employers and employees, uh, roughly 80% by employers, 20% by employees. We don't really, as far as I can tell, have um, clear direction on what type and the amount of that tax and how it would be paid. Um, and then there was a second tax that would be on income that was not currently subject to payroll taxes like interest, dividends, and capital gains. Mm -hmm. And so um, employers, it, it appears, would still be allowed to offer um, employer-sponsored coverage. Um, however, uh, it doesn't look like it appears, or it's not clear, uh, that they would have any type of credit towards the payroll tax if they did offer that coverage. That's something we're trying to get clarification on now. Um, but the single-payer health plan would ex certainly expand coverage for the New York residents. Um, according to an analysis that was done by the RAND Corporation um, and the New York State Health Foundation, they estimated that the new taxes would need to be about $139 billion in 2022 and $210 billion in 2031 to fully finance the system. So that's you know a fair amount less than California but a big impact nonetheless. Right. 
Um, so if we look at the status quo, the state is expected to collect about $89 billion in taxes from all sor sources in 2022. That's if nothing changed. So the new tax would be about 156% increase in tax revenue that would have to be um, garnered from both individuals and employers. The biggest hit would really be on high wage earners in that state. So the RAND Corporation said that if you're a New York resident and you're in the 90th to 95th percentile of household compensation, your cost would increase by $1,700 per person in your household by 2022. Now, that sounds significant, mm -hmm. but wait until you hear for the next the top 5%, and I'm sure many of us say, well, you know, they the top 5%, that's obviously they're making a lot of money. Um, and they are. They're making um, about $1.2 by the by 2022. They would pay about $50,200 more per person in their household. So wow. that's exorbitant. When you take into account that New York is already, that has the top personal income tax rate among America, and you, um, it would go from 9% up to about 29%, and you add to that the city's tax rate of 4% plus federal income tax, the highest wage earners would be paying about 70%. Wow. So that's, that's surreal. That's a, that's a big number. Um, but it makes sense when you think about the types of income taxes that uh, citizens of other countries where these systems are in place are paying, right? Um, we t they talk about how great the healthcare system is, and it probably is, uh, but they are paying a big portion of their income to the government to make sure that those uh, services are able to be funded and paid. And so that's what we're talking about here. But 70%, um, that's a very high number. So you've hit on some of the challenges here. What are, what are some of the other barriers? Um, let's say a state wants to move forward with a single-payer system. What other barriers are out there? Well, they can certainly expect um, opposition from stakeholders. Um, the most likely you could think of is, would be insurers. Obviously, if, they're going to be if the private system is going to be replaced, then insurers are going to um, oppose such a system, although some insurers may be utilized for administration of a government-run system. You also are going to see pushback by a lot of providers. Uh, most of these proposals presume that there's going to be a cap or certainly tightening on the payments that are made to providers, and so they're likely going to see their pocketbooks hit significantly. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, employers, especially um, those that have employees in multiple states. If you start having all these varying systems run in a number of states, it's going to be an administrative nightmare for employers. They're going to end up giving up more control, possibly paying more taxes, and having to come up with a different system depending on which states they're in. You could see employers pulling out of those states that are more difficult. And then, of course, um, you know we've already talked about federal resistance needing that waiver um, if they are going to try to take control of Medicare, Medicaid, or veterans care. So if there's a Republican-led administration, that is slim to none that that waiver would be offered. And then finally, of course, is that we've already really hit on, and I think is probably the largest barrier, is how do you fund this? Mm -hmm. So in any case, it's going to require huge increases in taxes. I mean, it's not going to be for free. The cost is going to be relatively the same when you see the various analysis on these systems. You may have slight decreases overall in cost due to some efficiencies, but generally it, the cost is still going to be there. It's just going to shift. And so the shifting is going to occur through taxes. So 
if we look, for example, just think of Vermont, that they came out, they were able to get their single payer legislation through Congress and um, expected to try to out to, you know, to roll it out in 2011. But by 2014, they dropped it because they couldn't figure out how to pay for it. And then in Colorado, it didn't even get past uh, the the legislative stage. They once the price tag came out about how much it was going to cost, the ballot initiative couldn't pass. So this is, I think, the biggest barrier, and really has to have significant discussion. How are is it going to be paid for if it's done at the state level? Um, when we see these midterm discussions happening at the federal level, as we will likely see, I think, in my view a proposal that maintains the current employer-sponsored system and only makes some expansion in the individual market would likely have the greatest uh, chance of passing um, if you're thinking of any kind of Medicare for all system. So I don't think a, a total universal coverage that would eliminate the private system would take employer-sponsored coverage completely out of the picture. I don't think that that's going to, that's somewhere down the road, if at all. Um, but but I could envision certainly in the ind individual market there being some a public option available. Right. Well, thank you, thank you for breaking down uh, all these different terms and issues, and I think it's something we'll definitely keep an eye on during the election season here. That we're now in October, heading into November, we're going to hear a lot about this. So this has been very helpful. Thank you, Suzanne. Certainly. Yeah. Remember to look for the details when you hear that term, Medicare for all. That's right. All right, and uh, for the podcast, I think that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm.